Welcome to this edition of Code Talk, the concise podcast to help you get to know the National Electrical Code. I'm your host, Frank Seiler, based in Spokane, Washington, and today's episode is Article 240, Overcurrent Protection, Other Articles. So this may seem a bit confusing. Why highlight Article 240, overcurrent protection, and then say, nope, we're looking at other articles today. The reason is that right at the beginning of Article 240, in Section 240.3, we have a list of items that have some specific overcurrent protection rules. And these stand apart from the general rules that we find in the rest of Article 240. And you might recall the basic rules, 240.21 for most conductors. We will protect the conductors against overcurrent, that is short circuit, ground fault, and overload at their source. So generally, that will be where the feeder or branch circuit conductor originates, at the breaker or at the fuse termination. Next we get to apply 240.4b that states that if a conductor is adequate for the calculated load, and does not fall on a standard breaker or fuse size, and is less than 800 amps, we may choose the next higher standard breaker or fuse size to protect that part of the wiring system. All right, so that's the, the basis. Those are the basic rules for Article 240. And it's with that context that we can look at 240.3. It is a list of 35 different articles, and, and they're listed in a sterile alphabetical order. They're not grouped in any kind of logical format. So to go and just pick these off one by one is not really a reasonable way to wrap our minds around this list. So instead, we could group these by finding what is common about several of these articles. And then we are left with just a handful of alternative protective techniques. And that's much more manageable. And some of these methods might have a bit of overlap. So if you're drawing mental Venn diagrams, and they overlap, that's perfectly fine. This is my personal way of giving this large topic in the NEC a little bit of sanity, and I hope that it helps you also. So let's start with all the articles that reference some kind of heating loads. All of these have one thing in common. Even though they might be on intermittently, such as using thermostatic controls, we treat the branch circuit as a continuous load both for the conductor sizing and the overcurrent protection. Where these differ, though, is in perhaps the maximum size of the circuit or the heat bank, and that depends on the application and location. And so we have listed for us fixed electric space heating equipment, Article 424, fixed outdoor electric de-icing and snow melting equipment, Article 426, fixed electric heating equipment for pipeline and vessels, Article 427, and induction and dielectric heating equipment, Article 665. Now here's an example of what we might find. Let's say that we look at Article 424, Fixed Electric Space Heating Equipment. In 424.3b it tells us that a single unit heater may be fed by a branch circuit sized at 125% of the appliance rating, and there is no size limit for a single unit. However, 
If we have a multi-outlet circuit, such as a number of baseboard heaters, then we're limited to 30 amps per circuit in dwelling units, 50 amps per circuit in non-dwelling occupancies. There are also a number of circuits where the branch circuit is fully protected by an overcurrent device, but several loads are placed on that one circuit. Perhaps the individual load cannot produce an overload or is somehow else protected downstream. Multi-outload receptacle circuits and lighting applications are obvious contenders here. And so we've got four that kind of fit this category. Branch circuits in Article 210, receptacles in 406, luminaires, lamp holders, and lamps, Article 410, and electric signs and outline lighting, Article 600. So of these four, if we go to Article 210, and we take a look at 210.20 through 210.23. That's really what we want to pay attention to. And of course, this relates to the other things on this list as well. But here it really highlights the different things that may be placed on a circuit, their limitations, both for ampacity and the amount of current that might be drawn through an individual device. And of course, that ties directly into receptacles 406. In Article 410, we might have some tap rules for fixture wires. That will refer us back to Article 240, 240.5 in this case. And for electric signs and outline lighting, Article 600, we find that the branch circuit overcurrent protection is limited to 20 amperes, except for neon skeletal tubing. That could be 30 amperes. However, a sign transformer does have some limitations. It shall have secondary protection that limits the amount of current to 300 milliamps, and it can have a voltage of no more than 7,500 volts. Next, we can consider those kinds of loads that have inrush currents. That is, all of the electrical machines, as well as capacitor banks. Inrush current is the maximum current drawn by an electrical circuit at the time it's turned on. And for most loads, this high amount of current appears for just a few cycles and then quickly drops off to the running current, or sometimes it's called the steady state current. The value of the inrush current is often much higher than the steady state current of the circuit, and the circuit design has to ensure proper operation of the circuit and minimize nuisance tripping of the overcurrent devices. Inrush current generally appears in all the devices where there is a magnetic core or winding, in other words, an inductive load. Where that is present, we find things such as transformers, industrial motors, power supplies. Inrush current is also known as input surge current or switch on surge current. Those are all terms that are used in industry. And so if we take a look at our list of items, we can pick out all of the electrical machines. So we have motors, motor circuits, and controllers. We have air conditioning, refrigeration equipment, transformers and transformer vaults, phase converters, generators, capacitors, electrolytic cells, industrial machinery. These are all loads that we would consider electrical machines. And so backtracking, we'll just highlight a couple of these. For motors, we have an example in Article 430, specifically 430.52b. And here it tells us that the motor, branch circuit, short circuit, and ground fault protective device that is the breaker fuse at the beginning of the circuit, shall be capable of carrying the starting current of the motor. 
So for a motor that draws, say, 30 amps under normal operation, the circuit might be wired at 125% with an 8-gauge conductor, yet the breaker protecting the wire at the panel might be an 80-amp breaker. We have to remember that there is additional overload protection at the starter. Thus, the overcurrent protection is split into two places. And we do the same thing with many of the other things on this list. Article 440, air conditioning and refrigeration equipment, 450, transformers, especially if we have both primary and secondary protection. Phase converters, Article 455. If they're a rotary phase converter, essentially it's a three-phase motor that we're running and operating on single phase and we're using the third leg as a generator. That too has an immense amount of inrush current. Generators, Article 445. Capacitors, Article 460. When a capacitor is discharged and first gets energized, there is a rapid inrush as it rapidly charges the bulk of its capacity and then the charging rate slows down. Electrolytic cells and industrial machinery, that's 668 and 670, round out the list. Now, in most of these, the wiring system is configured to protect the conductor against only short circuit and ground fault protection at the source, with overload protection near or perhaps even within the load being protected. Now, amongst the motorized equipment, there is one outlier. Fire pumps, that's Article 695. There, we essentially take away all the electrical protection except for short circuit. Short circuit protection remains, but if an overload occurs, we let it run rather than burning up the pump and instead letting the building burn down around us. Even ground fault protection is curbed, and instead of tripping out on a ground fault, we merely detect the ground fault, and then we have bells and whistles that go off and alert us, but we keep running. Now, why is this not a general safety hazard? We're going to explore fire pumps in a later episode. But briefly, whenever the code allows us to remove electrical protection, it generally layers on physical protection for the circuit conductors, and Article 695 is no exception there. Now, a group of articles that also has special overcurrent protection rules is based on the intermittent nature of the installation. In other words, out of a given minute or given 10 minutes or given hour, the piece of equipment only runs very briefly. And here the overcurrent device is usually fully sized, but the conductor tends to be derated because of the lack of a heating effect. So some of these are cranes and hoists in Article 610, elevators, dumbwaiters, escalators, moving walks, wheelchair lifts and stairway chair lifts, Article 620, electric welders, Article 630, and x-ray equipment, Article 660. Now this is industrial x-ray equipment. This is not for the healthcare field. And so in healthcare facilities, Article 517 also has a section for x-ray equipment. And generally with all of these devices, we have a nameplate or a duty cycle or a table or both that tell us what percentage of the nameplate ampere value to use when sizing the conductor. That does not mean that the unit draws few amps. So generally our overcurrent device will not match the opacity of the conductors we have selected. Next, we can take a look at systems where uh, electrically or electronically we're able to limit or restrict the current 
and that's generally done within a power supply. And so we've got three articles that are readily listed here. Article 640 is audio signal processing, amplification, and reproduction. Article 725 is class 1, class 2, and class 3, remote control signaling and power limited circuits. And while not on the list in Article 240, fire alarm circuits are protected in a very similar way. And in most of these, we have some kind of a current limiting power supply that limits the current to a specified level, even when shorted or ground faulted, rather than just tripping open and disabling the entire circuit. And so those are the things that we can kind of group together or bunch together. That leaves us with a handful of articles that don't pigeonhole into these larger groups. And so what's left? Well, we've got appliances, Article 422. If we take a look at 422.11, we see that it is dedicated to overcurrent protection with seven different subsections. This, too, is enough material for a separate podcast episode. But just one that I want to highlight here. It applies to things such as water heaters. 422.11e is entitled Single, Non-Motor-Operated Appliances. Uh, if we take a look in that section, we find that if the appliance is over 13.3 amps, then the overcurrent device may be sized at 150%. And if it does not land on a standard breaker size, you may round up. Another article, Article 518, is entitled Assembly Occupancies. Now, it can be grouped together with a, a couple of others. Theaters, audience areas of motion picture and television studios in similar locations, Article 520, and motion picture and television studios in similar locations, Article 530. These all tie together in the ways that we might have things that need protecting. What does it do? Well, it alerts us that in many such facilities, temporary wiring and cords and cables are employed as well as audio and signaling conductors, and each of these has specific overcurrent protection requirements. Also, they all have a section for stage switchboard feeders and the demand factors that may be applied to that particular kind of equipment. One piece of equipment that we haven't isolated yet is busways, Article 368. Now, what is a busway? Well, a busway is a raceway consisting of a metal enclosure, and it contains factory-mounted, bare or insulated conductors that are usually copper or aluminum bars, rods, or tubes. So the question is, does this type of assembly have special rules? Well, in many ways, they are treated just as if we're using wire-type conductors. However, the rules in 368.17 give some exceptions for industrial establishments. And this is where this kind of wiring method is most likely to be used. Hang on to the next episode. We'll talk about industrial establishments. Article 700 is emergency systems. Now, part 4 has specific rules for the location, ground fault protective settings, and selective coordination requirements for emergency system overcurrent devices. Selective coordination ensures that only the overcurrent device closest to the fault actually trips and no upstream devices are affected. If we've got some critical infrastructure, perhaps a hospital, we don't want 
a fault on a branch circuit taking out the entire feeder or the entire wing or the entire floor of a hospital. We only want to protect that particular fault and isolate it from the rest of the system. That is selective coordination in a nutshell. You may wish to look at figure 700.32, which is new in the 2020 NEC, to get some details as to where these requirements apply between the normal and the emergency standby source. And then we've got a couple of other interesting things. Pipe organs. Article 650. Now right at the beginning it says for general audio signal processing Article 640 is used, but for the control of actuator valves, a maximum 30 volt DC power supply is permitted to be employed. Conductor sizes 20 gauge through 28 gauge and a maximum overcurrent protective device of 6 amperes. Now I bet that just a fraction of a percent of electricians have ever touched one of these systems. I know I haven't. But I bet that you can just picture the NEC test writers. They're gleefully writing a test question about this little article to catch even good students of the NEC off guard. Now on the flip side, you might ask yourself, why these voltages and wire sizes? What led up to this oddity in the codebook? Are there any parallels to similar control systems in the NEC? Now, I'm recording this a couple of weeks into the COVID-19 outbreak in our area, so some of you might have a little extra time to get into really digging into the roots of electrical systems that predate code requirements, and that is certainly the case here. Article 230. Article 230 is services, and these also have a unique situation. What is that? Well, service conductors are defined as the conductors between the utility's demarcation or service point and the first overcurrent protective device. Now, for many years, the statement in 230.90 puzzled me. What does it say there? Well, 230.90 talks about where overcurrent protection is required and then it states, each ungrounded or hot service conductor shall have overload protection. Why overload? Why not overcurrent? It took me a while to figure this out. But we have to remember where this is in the system. The code is talking about the fuse or breaker at the end of the conductors being protected, not at the beginning. So the breaker or fuse cannot detect a short circuit or a ground fault ahead of it, only after it. However, that fuse or breaker does protect the conductors against overload. If too much load is placed on the service conductors, the conductors are protected because the main fuses or breaker will see the same amount of current as the upstream or line side conductors. Next on our list of things that we haven't plugged into one of these uh, uh, compartments yet is solar photovoltaic systems, Article 690. And when we think about these, these pose a unique situation in that the only power source they have is the photovoltaic or solar panel that derives its source of energy from the sun. They're not connected to the grid, so there's no backstop of electrical current that you could call on if you needed more current. Now if you've worked with photovoltaic systems and have 
glance at the nameplate of a photovoltaic array, you'll see that the short circuit current is just slightly higher, maybe 10% higher than the normal output current. So in a short circuit, there's not the possibility of a huge amount of current flowing. If you short circuit that array, it can't reach out to the sun and ask for more energy. It can't say, hey, send me more photons. They, they want more. It gets what it gets. That's it. So in certain parts of a DC array wiring, we find that highlighted in 690.9A1, the conductor could be sized large enough to just handle the maximum amount of fault current instead of putting an overcurrent device on the conductor. There are also some other requirements here that depend on the type and location within the system, such as ground fault protection of the AC and the DC systems, also arc fault protection for DC photovoltaic systems, and often these are integrated within the overcurrent devices that we use. And so if you work with these particular systems, Article 690 has a lot of details in that area. And again, we're going to, down the road, feature this in probably two or three podcast episodes. Article 408 we have not talked about yet, and that is switchboards and panel boards. And so a panel board, that's the, the guts inside of a load center, and it states that a panel board shall be protected by an overcurrent protective device having a rating not greater than that of the panel board. It can either be located within or at any point on the supply side of the panel board. Now, there are some exceptions for older systems. If you've been wiring for a while, you're likely aware of a split bus panel. There you've got six two-pole main disconnects at the top and then the lighting bus underneath. Now, of course, these would violate this particular rule. And if it was installed, it was likely installed prior to the 2008 NEC because that's when this particular rule for protecting the panel board came into our code. And so this is our, our complete list. We have covered all 35 of these individual installations. And hopefully we've been able to make some sense and give some structure to this particular list where we've got some unique challenges in providing the proper kind of overcurrent protection for the conductors. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Next time, we will focus on just two definitions that are unique to Article 240. We'll answer the following questions. How is a standard overcurrent device different from one that is labeled current limiting? And the second question we'll answer is, what is a supervised industrial installation? Now, if you found this episode on a site other than our website, please feel free to go to inw-training.com for the lecture notes. I'll try to get them up in the next couple of days, along with a few examples. Until next time, this is your host, Frank Seiler, signing off from Spokane, Washington.